0: Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Scott. Welcome to Skipped
1: On Shuffle, a podcast where we delve into an overlooked song by a popular artist. Today, we're going to be talking about the police and their song Omega Man off of their album Ghost in the Machine.
0: Doing an episode for Skip Down Shuffle on the police is really interesting because I don't think people really quite understand how much hit material the police have. Like, there's only five records and we had to find a song that wasn't a hit. <laughs> and it's like that is much more difficult than you think it's going to be because the police have had so many huge hits. And I think that until you see all the hits, like until you see a list and you realize that you know all of them because you've heard them on, you know, on the classic rock radio, you've heard them in movies, you've heard them while you're walking through the mall, you've heard them covered by people, like you 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 don't understand just how much material this band has and how huge it all was
1: in such a short span of time.
0: Yeah, like boom like it was like we, we, we they joined One the band of the- and they then also they hit 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 and then they were done you know
1: and a band that's so popular and with such staying power that after 30 years they can go out on a tour and just sell out like sta- stadiums full and then yeah just, I mean based on off of no new material that just we're getting back together and we're doing our songs and I don't know that's i I feel like other bands would have to have some kind of release to go along with it something to kind of like entice people or be like hey remember us but it's like no we we remember you and <laughs> we're going to... Yeah, I think their
0: entire British tour, that, that reunion tour uh, in the early 2000s, I think the entire tour sold out in like 30 minutes or something. Yeah, it was... It yeah, was just like, like a little, probably like a, a blurb in, 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 a, in a magazine or a newspaper or whatever. Like, oh, the police are getting back together. Boom. You know, hundreds of thousands of tickets sold. Like, it's just crazy how huge this band is. But as we're going to get into, the band is got some very shaky dynamics between the three members and a lot of the hit songs that you know are primarily from the the band's most famous member Sting but there's two other guys in the band that also write material and I think that it's interesting that so many hit songs they've had none of them have been from one of the other two members
1: yeah so especially with this episode of skips on shuffle we wanted to highlight the contributions of the other members so we picked a song written by guitarist andy summers omega man The story of the police starts in the UK in 1976. There's this big punk movement going on, and two of the founding members meet each other at a rock show. It's Sting, who's British, and Stuart Copeland, the drummer, uh, who's an American there, touring with a band. So they see each other, they're both impressed by each other's playing, they exchange contact info, and agree to meet up to jam at some point in time. Uh, Sting ends up moving to London calls up Copeland to basically jam with him. Things are going great. They like each other's playing. Um, And then they're seeking out another member to kind of form this punk band. Sting basically sees all the um, economic opportunity with punk music that basically, here's this thing that's happening. There are bands that are getting famous and making a ton of money. You know, The Clash, Sex Pistols, all, all these, you know, famous punk bands that you've heard of these are all bands that are are finding great success so sting says you know i kind of want to be a part of that so they find a guitarist henry Padavani, and get him in the band and they go out playing as basically this three-piece band they end up getting some money together and record their first single which is called fallout So that first single, Fallout, doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't really do much. So the band doesn't really have a lot of incentive to stay together. So Mike Howlett of a band called Gong asked Sting if he wants to join his new band, which is called Strontium 90. Great name.
0: <laughs> so catchy. <laughs>
1: So Sting agrees, joins the band. Howlett wants a uh, has a drummer that he wants to be in this band, but that guy's off playing somewhere else or doing something else. So Sting says, "Oh, I know a guy." Bring Stuart Copeland over with him, so they're both playing together. The band finds a guitarist in Andy Summers. Andy Summers is a little different from the other guys in the band. He's about 10 years older than Sting and Copeland and Howlett and also has like a lot of experience because he's played with Eric Burden and the Animals. So he's more way more of a professional musician than the other people in the band. Not that they're not good players, but this guy has been, you know, out touring out on stage uh, much more than the other members of the band. So now we have the Police's core members all in a band together. Andy Summers on guitar, Sting on vocals and bass, and Stuart Copeland on drums. Padovani is still there, but that starts creating some tension in the group. Uh, Summers doesn't really enjoy playing with him. Sting is also kind of not a huge fan, but... Both Sting and Stuart Copeland are like, well, you know, we've been playing with this guy for a while because Summers basically approaches them and says, you know, either choose me or him. And Sting and Copeland feel really bad about kicking uh, Padovani out of the band. They're like, you know, we've been playing with him. Let's just see, you know, if if we can make this work. At this point, Howlett has left the band. So it's a four-piece band and they play a couple gigs. Things are really not working out. Uh, They end up getting rid of Padovani, and now we have the three core members of the police. So the police are together now, and they start basically finding their sound, which has this strong punk influence, uh, but also some reggae, some jazz. These are all very talented musicians that have a lot of influences from other genres that are kind of making their way into the band, giving them kind of this unique sound. They realize that they need to... Uh, record some material, get it to a record exec, and you know get their career moving. So they end up seeking out. Stuart copeland's older brother miles bugging him and eventually getting a small loan from him they use that money to rent out a uh, recording recording time at a studio but basically the deal is they need to record during like off hours or if a band like cancels or something so they're there at like all these weird times trying to record their debut album during one of those sessions miles Stuart copeland's older brother hears them playing roxanne and basically says i'm gonna give me this recording i'm gonna go take this and get you guys a record contract so he goes to a&m records they hear it they love it uh, basically gets them their record contract based off of that single and they wrap up recording and release their first album outlandos Mor and the first single off that album was roxanne
0: roxanne
1: So both the album and the single Roxanne didn't really do very well. They didn't really make any waves. They brought the song to the BBC to play it. The BBC didn't really want to play it. So famously, they promoted the record company, promoted it as though the band was banned from being heard on the BBC, despite the fact that they were just like, no, we don't want to play your song. <laughs> so brilliant brilliant marketing move by the the record execs there. So you know, they're struggling to find a single, so they also release "Can't Stand Losing You. But that single doesn't do very well because it has this kind of controversial suicidal cover with Stuart Copeland on the cover. So that causes some controversy. So that song was actually banned, which is just kind of weird because it wasn't anything with the content. It was how yeah, it was being covered. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. So just kind of a strange thing. And then a third single... So lonely was also released from that album, and also didn't really do much. So,
0: which is really weird because we we're saying when you hear these, these titles, songs now. Yeah, yeah. So lonely and can't stand losing you and Roxanne. Those are like radio staples. Like these are songs that you can't turn on at any classic rock radio station without hearing one of those songs at least one point during the day. So it's really remarkable that like critics at the time didn't want didn't like it, and and audiences at the time weren't buying it. And it's just so crazy to think of these huge hits as not being successes right from the get.
1: So what kind of helps this band recover from all this is they end up playing on British TV where they play Roxanne so more people finally hear that song and uh, love it And then also they come over to the U.S. where they're playing uh, in New York City and doing very well there. So the record company ends up actually reissuing a lot of those original singles now that people kind of have at least heard the name and now that they have some kind of following as a live act. So in 1979, they record a follow-up album, Regatta de Blanc, which does very well in the U.K., Mainly uh, a couple big hit singles, one of those being Message in a Bottle. Also the song Walking on the Moon. So they do very well in the UK with this album. Uh, not so much in the United States. Um, also, interestingly, they go on a world tour and they play a lot of kind of interesting places that when you think of a world tour, it's not really places that bands typically go. Places like India, Hong Kong, Greece. Kind of an a interesting direction for, for that band to take their music to um, these, these places that you know, aren't usually there. Usually are, are, yeah. Ignored. I yeah. mean, there's, it's weird to, to, yeah. when you think about it now, you're like, Oh, you know, yes, these are, you know, major countries that people tour. But at the time, this was, um, kind of unusual, especially for a band that's still sort of finding its footing and, and trying to find an audience.
0: I think that helped though because you know when you look at the police now, especially if you look at that reunion tour that they did, like that was a worldwide sensational tour where they did play all over the world. And I think that the U- the, the police they have this this following that extends well beyond the United States and the UK, even though their songs are all in English and all you know fairly westernized. Uh, it, it it is remarkable just how huge this band became, and and it might be because they they took the time to tour those countries, those smaller places at the at the early onset of their career, rather than waiting for them to be big enough to tour those places after they've already gotten famous.
1: In the midst of all this touring, the police write material for their third album, Zenyata Mandata, which they end up recording over the summer of 1980. The album comes out in October, and basically as soon as they wrap up recording, they're already back out on the road doing another big world tour, which, I mean, despite this like hurried schedule, this band is becoming basically bigger and bigger. The most notable song off of Zenyata Mandata is Don't Stand So Close to Me. And it's important to note at the time, all these hits that we're mentioning, as we said before, are all Sting songs. The other musicians in the band are starting to get a little bit more confident and adventurous, I'd say. Andy Summers, the guitarist, records a song called Behind My Camel, this weird instrumental track with these Middle Eastern influences That famously, Sting has said he like totally hated the song. Uh, There's a bass guitar on the song, but Sting. Didn't contribute that bass. Andy Summers actually played the bass line because Sting was so adamant about not wanting to be a part of that track. So this is also the time where we start to get some of those tension in the band and these creative differences as to what direction that the individual members see the police going. Because Sting is this, the the driving force. He's also you know writing so much material that is getting the, them these hits. But also, you know, underneath the surface, they, you know, want to take the band in in slightly different directions in, in terms of sound. And a lot of it is, you know, Andy Summers is kind of pushing for a more experimental direction. And also, if you've ever heard any of Stuart Copeland's drumming, you know that he has a lot of influences from all around the world that you can hear him also trying to get in there. This album is also notably the last album that has a lot of that, like, reggae influence that you hear that if you listen to any of the early police stuff is one of those really um identifiable factors also notably the band starts getting more political songs like driven to tears or a song that Stuart copeland wrote called bombs away kind of making political commentary which was also kind of a new thing for the band in 1981 they go back into the studio to record the album that we're going to be talking about today ghost in the machine so all i'll mention from it right now is just the band wanted to kind of move in a different direction as i mentioned they were moving away from that reggae sound they also started incorporating uh, more keyboards Uh, sting plays saxophone on some of the songs on this album the the recording gets much more layered and textured so there's a lot of different stuff going on here but probably the one song that you've most assuredly heard off of this album is every little thing she does is magic We'll talk more about that album, but I just want to move forward to 1983's Synchronicity, which is also the band's last album. This famously has the song Every Breath You Take. well as a couple other songs you've probably heard king of pain wrapped around your finger this was a huge album for the band this is a band really hitting their peak as far as coming out with hit singles and the size of the tours they're doing notably they go out on tour and they play shea stadium which seats i think like seventy thousand people and it's at this moment that all the tensions in the band start spilling over especially sting as the main singer songwriter basically being like do i really need these people anymore where do we where do we go from here here we are at you know shea stadium there's nowhere bigger that we can play there's nowhere else for us to go and the band decides to they eventually try to get back together after this record but it becomes pretty clear pretty quickly that the band is finished so that's how we end up with what we have today which is five very quick albums recorded between these massive tours and the band basically dissolving at the the peak of their success
0: it's certainly one of those times where you 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 see a a group you know deciding that they're going to quit while they're ahead you know like 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 you mentioned they play Shea Stadium it's you know the biggest show of their career it's this huge monumental achievement according to I think Sting referred to it as Everest as if it was like they, they they'd climbed the the biggest mountain they'd done the biggest thing there's nothing more they could do it's time to call it quits and uh, remarkably the band you know the band plays together they do they they do their uh, the rock and roll hall of fame induction they do a reunion tour they play a bunch of dates and that reunion tour sold over three million tickets I think almost every show is completely sold out one of the biggest tours of all time and they so they they wrecked recognize and they get together and they do other things but they also recognize that they're that they did that what they did was at a certain time and they don't want to taint that they don't try and release new music they don't try and you know uh do like lots of tours they're not going to be like kiss or the who where they do a new tour every year or whatever yeah they've said
1: that they've said that this is it yeah they're like this
0: is it we did it we're done we celebrated our 30th anniversary that's it that's all you get it's it's really interesting for a band to be self-aware enough to to agree that that you know what they did was important at a time and it was all in that time and to try and recapture that or and to capture that lightning in a bottle again is, is just not worth it. And it's much better to, to continue on saying to yourselves that happened. It was amazing, but let's focus on other things. So, so you got to respect them for that, but I'm sure there are a lot of police fans out there that are quite disappointed that the band's, you know, time period was less than 10 years and only five albums when they might have had a sixth or even a seventh album with you know with great hits and cool stuff going on but they just they just said nope we're just gonna call it a day
1: okay so we're gonna jump back to 1981 and talk about ghost in the machine and the song omega man
0: we hope you're enjoying this episode of skipped on shuffle right about now. In most podcasts, you'd be hearing an ad for something, uh, but we are trying to keep skipped on shuffle ad free. And the way we're going to be able to do that is through Patreon.
1: Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash skipped Any donations go to support the costs associated with running this podcast. So the title of this album is inspired by a book by an author, Arthur Kessler. The book is also called The Ghost in the Machine. The whole idea of this book is it's like this part philosophy psychology book that basically tries to explain human behavior, you know, like fear and violence and... Discusses basically that you know we have our, our our primitive lizard brain lurking underneath everything. That's the you know ghost in the machine that you know bubbles to the surface at times, or um, you know kind of controls or drives our behavior. So it was this kind of whole weird concept that was behind the album that kind of runs through a lot of the album's tracks. At this point, the band is trying to change their sound, trying to change direction a little bit. They're getting darker into heavier themes. They're moving away from a lot of that reggae influence that uh, made the music a little bit lighter or a little bit more fun. They're also incorporating a lot more layers of keyboards, bringing in horns with Sting playing saxophone on the album. So this album sounds very different from the previous three police records.
0: Interestingly enough, though, all that change and all that progression and trying to incorporate new sounds and everything like that was was mostly Sting. Sting was the guy who was like, we need to start incorporating these keyboards and these these different sounds to kind of expand our 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 what we what we do. And meanwhile, Stuart Copeland and Annie Summers were not on board. And both of them are on the record multiple times saying that they don't like this record, they hate the sound of this record, they hated making this record they they felt that this was the beginning of the police ceasing to be a three-piece powerhouse songwriting musical trio and starting to be sting and two other dudes playing songs that Sting had written. And despite the fact that there are, you know, multiple songs on this record that weren't written by Sting, including the one that we're going to talk about, Omega Man, when you look at the album as a whole, it's 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 very Sting-centric. Not that the other albums weren't also that way, but you you start to hear the Andy Summers and Stuart Copeland tracks kind of pushed in the background and all the Sting stuff kind of pushed into the foreground. And especially if you listen to Synchronicity, which is the album that follows this one that gets taken to the nth degree where there's so much layering and so much keyboards and overdubs and stuff like that, that you really do hear it as being kind of like less of a police record and more of a Sting record. And the, the other two band members, this is what's causing a lot of the strife to happen. So you can only imagine the, uh, the tension and the arguments and the problems that probably occurred while Sting is basically taking the police and saying, like, guess what, guys? This is my band and we're going to do what I say.
1: So we have Stuart Copeland and Andy Summers kind of pushing back against that. So a lot of the times when they they manage to squeeze one of their tracks on the album, it's usually just, you know, Andy Summers as solo writer as opposed to like any collaborative efforts. That's kind of an interesting dynamic. And also uh, what makes Omega Man so interesting is the record company actually wanted this song to be the first single, but because it was written by Andy Summers, this made Sting really angry, and he actually refused to allow them to use this as the lead single for the record.
0: The four singles from the record are, in order of release, were Invisible Sun, which maybe you've heard before, and then the second single was Every Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic, which most people have heard, and then the third single was Spirits in the Material World, which is also very popular, and then the final one was a song that most people probably haven't even heard, which is called Secret Journey, so... Not only was it not the first single, but Sting refused to release it as a single at all. And which is really crazy because when you listen to Omega Man, you hear so much of what makes the police... Famous, like you, you hear so much of what people love about this band. You hear that that driving beat, that memorable chorus, the you know very interesting guitar work, the the driving bass line of Sting, and Sting sings the song. So you you know, which we should mention, like obviously, you know, we've played clips of the song so you can hear Sting's voice. But this is a song written by Andy Summers, sung by Sting, played all together as a trio, and it's also a song very focused on the trio. It's almost like. It's almost like this is a song from a past police record that got put onto this one. So it's really crazy that they didn't think to themselves like this would be a great way to lead off the record. And, and instead they, they picked other stuff that, 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 that Sting picked or Sting wrote. So, so it really does give you an idea of just how much of a control freak and kind of an asshole Sting is at this time when it comes to making decisions for the band on the band's behalf.
1: I think what makes Omega Man such a cool track is it has that kind of you you could see you can hear where the experimental side of Andy Summers was was coming in with like the 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 main riff that plays because it's really bizarre kind of hook and then, you know, gets into a a song that sounds a bit more like a, a typical police song. But then, you know, we keep kind of reverting back to this, like, weird guitar part. And that's, that's to me, the kind of cool stuff about this band is when the other members kind of put their own little touch on it. A good example of Stuart Copeland doing this is something like Walking on the Moon, if you hear, like, his, like, hi-hat playing during that song. It's just, like, really complex and cool. But also, um, like, subtle. But yeah, yeah, but without, you know, being, like, too in your face. and And that's kind of... I think one of the things that draws me to this song is the way that it can kind of push towards a new and sort of different sound without kind of Sting's approach of like, oh, we need to throw in keyboards or have a horn here. It's like you're using, you know, the, the guitar bass drums that you've been using, but also you're able to, to use it in a different way to create this really unique sound
0: even though the band rage against machine even though they're not a trio they're 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 four members of the band the the the, the musicians of the band that, that 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 play the actual instruments the guitar bass and drums they're also just a trio and it kind of reminds me of that it kind of reminds me of of how rage against machine limited themselves they were like no like all of our sounds are going to come from guitar bass and drums and vocals that's all we're going to do and the police here like they didn't limit themselves that way. They pushed in these different directions. And I feel like Stuart Copeland and Andy Summers were much more on the Rage Against the Machine side of the argument of being like, no, we should be limiting ourselves to what we three can do. If we can't reproduce it on a stage with just the three of us, then we shouldn't be doing it. And Sting kind of fighting them and being like, no, we should push in these other directions. And what's interesting to me is that usually... I'm on the side of somebody like Sting. I'm like, no, like part of the interesting thing about making recordings is the fact that you can go in these different directions. You can do things that you wouldn't be able to duplicate live because that's what makes recording interesting. But at the same time, when you have a band that's, I mean, the police, when you have three members of a band who are all so monumentally talented, you kind of wonder like, why are we throwing in these extra, you know, frilly extra stuff? Why are we trying to over ice this cake when we have literally three of the greatest musicians that have ever played in any band ever playing together? So it really does make me fall on the side of the argument where I do kind of want to, you know, say to Andy Summers and Stuart Copeland, like, no, you guys were right. Like you guys should have stuck with this. Maybe if you did, things would have been different. But at the same time, like, you know, we also have Synchronicity, which is this is a great, great record. So it really, it, it kind of brings up this inner conflict in me of being like, I want to love these these core trio, trio songs so much, but I also don't want to ignore all the other great stuff that they did with Sting kind of at the helm.
1: Yeah, and I don't know if it's kind of the, just a holdover from what they had done previously with uh, this like punk mentality, because yeah, you do you're not going to have a punk band. That's just like, guys, I wrote this great keyboard riff. <laughs> if we could just find a place to put it in this song. <laughs> and I mean, that's just the natural progression of bands. And yeah, I, I, I kind of ag- agree with you where it's kind of hard to figure out who's on the right side of that argument because also just bands progress and change. But this, this, This feels like far more of a like dragging the other members of the band along with you than just kind of the natural progression and and change of sound that normally, you know, bands kind of follow over the course of their career. i mentioned this is an album with some dark themes that we see pretty much on display here uh lyrically with omega man it opens up the night came down jungle sounds were in my ears city screams are all i've heard in 20 years so very you know dark brooding dystopian um setting for our song also just the the kind of end of things as is suggested by Omega being the last letter of the Greek alphabet.
0: Yeah, there's the the, the old you know the the reference usually is made as the Alpha and the Omega, which is a you know, usually ascribed to religious figures like Jesus Christ, where they say like, you know, they are the beginning and the end, everything and in between is all encapsulated by this thing. So rather than being the alpha and the Omega man, this is just the Omega man, the guy at the very end, you know, we could, you know, judging by the lyrics and, and the dark tone and the kind of, I guess, the best word I could think of is like desperation of the, of the lyrics. You could imagine that this is a guy at the end of his rope kind of struggling to get through life or, or, or whatever very different from something like Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic or, you know, uh, Wrapped Around Your Finger or Can't Stand Losing You or whatever. This is clearly a much darker territory than than most of, of the police's bigger hits. And also most of Sting's songs, most of Sting's writing, you know, this is clearly very different from 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 what we've previously heard from the police in that regard.
1: And even when Sting gets kind of into some of the, his his interpretation of some of the you know themes of this album uh, it's not you know as dark as this spirits in the material world famously you know has the line there is no political solution so i mean it's it's a little bit of that you know throwing your your hands in the air and saying you know there's there's some things that are broken and perhaps are can't easily be fixed versus this song which is just like chaos yeah of just every everything is ended and i don't know where i'm going you know lines like the edge of time closes down as i disappear whoa deep (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean it's it's clear that you know this song is just kind of a crazy dystopian hellhole of a song but it's really cool and really catchy (laughs) (laughs) Might also be worth mentioning that the Omega Man was a movie that came out roughly a decade before, with Charlton Heston, where basically he was the last survivor on on Earth. So clear, clearly, there's you know some some further connections there. I think if you listen to this record, Ghost in the Machine, you should use Omega Man as your contrast to every little thing she does is magic. <laughs> to just show really like appreciate the breadth of sound out of this band and about the the different approach to instruments, lyrics. That these band members have um, knowing that, you know, Andy Summers is the sole songwriter for Omega Man and knowing that Sting is the sole songwriter for every little thing she does is magic, the kind of the blueprint of which if you were to throw on synchronicity, you you might mistakenly believe that every little thing she does is magic is on synchronicity because they share so many similar sounds and just the whole general feel of it that I think this kind of shows the, the contrast that this band has not only in doing different styles of songs so effectively, but also kind of realizing like the, the different approaches that the band members are taking now where just the, just the difference in songwriting styles and difference in approach that i think on this record despite the the on the one hand there's underlying tensions and divisions starting um, but you also get a really cohesive record despite the different ways the band is kind of being pulled apart at at this point in time if that makes any sense no, and i think, and, and I, think and, I think if you listen to the album you'll, you'll
0: yeah and i think the band members acknowledge that i think that i heard a, a quote from andy summers at one point where he was talking about how you know if a band is doing really well like you know uh as far as their like personal connection goes you're going to hear a very slick and cohesive group playing very slick and cohesive songs and that's usually pretty boring you know and he's like the band that's that's constantly having that tension between each other and and pulling each other in different directions all at the same time that's when you usually get really interesting different sounds and uh you know if you look at the album as a whole ghost in the machine if you look at the the whole thing from beginning to end you do get the sense of that like you're saying like the album kind of going in these different directions and whatever and i think that when you think of the the police's singles output and their their biggest successes on the radio and you and you compare that to something like omega man you really see How that tension produces this like different style of music that, although different, still sounds like the same band. Like I feel like if I put on Omega Man, someone would be like, Oh, this is the police, you know? And they wouldn't have to think about it. I wouldn't have to tell them, like, this is the police, just so you know. I know this sounds a little different, but you may not know this is the police. They'd be like, No, this sounds just like the that band. Like, this sounds like the band that I know when I think of the police, even though we've 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 proven that this song is like so different from the rest of them it's just it's it's interesting to think about how bands can do that kind of thing with like those dynamic shifts
1: and interesting to think about in terms of even sting's solo output they don't sound like police songs and what andy summers does is his solo stuff and stewart copeland it's just weird that you know when when these three people play together it changes everything they are and everything they do individually. Yeah. That's one of the things that I think makes this band so cool is that, you know, somebody departs on a solo career and you're like, Oh, it still, you know, pretty much sounds like, you know, this, this band, you know, when Eddie Vedder does, yeah. does some solo material, you're like, Oh, this song could have been a Pearl jam song. Yeah. Or, In the case of one of those songs he came back and the whole band did it.
0: Yeah. Or uh, like it, or like Jerry Cantrell from Allison. Yeah. Chains, it sounds like it yeah, yeah. sounds a lot like it or, you know, and you can just imagine like if, I don't know. Billy Joe from Green Day created a solo record. You, you, it would probably sound a lot like Green Day stuff. You know, you get the idea that the band sounds the way that it does because they have all, they're all on the same page and they're all trying for the same goal. But like you said, like if you listen to Sting solo output, it's much softer, much more pop. And then if you listen to Andy Summers stuff, it's much more wild and in different directions and and so on. But when you get them together, all of a sudden it creates this singular sound that you can't duplicate if one of them left. Like I'm assuming if if Stuart Copeland left the police and sting and Amy summers did a tour it just wouldn't be the same you know and that's really interesting to think about like how that specialness happens similar to like you know like like led zeppelin you know or 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 other like huge acts rage against the machine obviously would be another one like i mentioned earlier where it's like if you take out one element all of a sudden it it just it isn't falls the apart. Same. Yeah. yeah it's really interesting how that can work especially with a band as small with just just 3 dudes you know like each one of them having to be such an integral part of it As a musician and as a music listener and as a guy who runs a podcast about music, I I am ashamed to admit that I did not immediately come into music listening to the police and thinking they were the greatest thing since sliced bread, which I I, I say I'm I'm ashamed to admit that because I feel like if you... If, if you don't appreciate the police on a fundamental level from the beginning, then you're, you're kind of seen as, as out of touch with what music really is because this band is so monumental and such a, a huge influence on so many people, especially musicians. But, uh, yeah, I, I listened to the songs I heard on the radio. I think I had a greatest hits collection and I was like, this is it. This is what the police is. They're, uh, a series of great singles, you know, played by a very competent trio of, of musicians. It wasn't until I picked up uh, this 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 double album that they released called The Police Live. Uh, there's two discs. The first disc is a is a concert that they played earlier in their careers, I think, on the Outlandos de mor tour, and then the second disc is uh, from the Synchronicity tour. So you get a sense of what the band sounded like on the first disc. You get a sense of what the band sounded like. As a you know up and coming punky trio, and then on the second disc, you get this this sound of this huge band playing in this enormous arena with you know uh, they have some backing singers they have a, i think they have a keyboardist too playing like you know parts to kind of fill out the sound. So you you hear the two dynamics of, of, of the group. And I bought it just kind of on a whim. I think I found it used at a record store or something like that. And I was like, hey, I like The Police and I like live music. I'll check this out. And I was just blown away. Like I couldn't believe, I was like, I had no idea that these These guys were so good. And I also had no idea, especially on the second disc, I also had no idea how many amazing hit singles they had. Like I always accepted that they were in a a singles band and they were good singles, but every single song on that second disc is a a top 10 radio hit. Like I knew every single one. Every time I get to another one, I'd be like, oh my God, I know this one. Oh my God, I know this one. You know, and and it was just, it was so mind blowing that I said to myself, okay, I, I gotta, I gotta go back. I gotta go back and I gotta listen to these records and, and really see what's going on now, now that I understand what's, what's, what's happening here. And, uh, and then I was also blown away. And now, I've come down, and I can say like, oh, I'm a big Police fan, and I understand this. And if someone were to say, Scott, you know, who were the, you know, the top 20 bands of the past 50 years? Like the Police would be on there. And uh, so now I've come to accept it. But I, I came about it to a roundabout way. So when I listen to Ghost in the Machine, or, or, or you know, some of the the non-single tracks like Omega Man, uh, I, I, I come back to that moment where I say to myself. Sometimes I'll be listening to it, and I'll think to myself, like, why did I? not listen to this from the beginning. Like, why Why did I pass this over for so long? Uh, and so I kind of regret that, that I didn't have as much police in my life as maybe I should have. But luckily, there's always time to, you know, it's never too late to like pick up a disc and pop it in and, or or you know, I guess that, shows my age i shouldn't say that anymore the, to to click on a you know a button on the internet and listen to a song it's never too late to start that and i really recommend that you know people listening to this this podcast they 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 try and delve a little bit deeper into the police because it's it's so worth it
1: i came to the police in a similar way um i had the the greatest hits and i'm like i love these songs you know you hear them on the radio you hear them everywhere and yeah, it, it wasn't until later that I started kind of delving in here and there into more into their their output. Um, and there's not a lot to listen to. So I don't really have a lot of excuses for you know <laughs> not being able to listen to just, you know, a couple of these. But the, I mean, the thing that really hooked me was I, I love The Greatest Hits and especially... The sound of Wrapped Around Your Finger, which just is like so spooky and weird. And I don't know, there's just nothing else that sounds like it. So the first album I had gotten was Synchronicity. And I mean, it's such a polished, cool album that, you know, if if you're unsure, if you're a police fan, you can pretty much throw that on and love every song on it. With the exception of Mother as With we, the as exception we, of we, Mother. <laughs> which is weird because it's an Andy Summers. Track. But um you'll 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 know that song when you get to it. Um, but I I, you know, heard that record and really loved it and for some reason just kind of stopped there. I don't know why like Greatest Hits and The Last Album for some reason seemed like enough. So Yeah, in in at some point I picked up whatever the most complete box set was at the time that had, yeah, I think um, it's a message in a box. Yeah. For the four discs that has all the album material, it's allegedly supposed to be everything they've ever recorded, but I think there's still some stuff that like isn't on there, but you know, some, some like B side stuff, a couple live tracks that, you know, I would listen to sporadically here and there. And I think, kind of the older I get every time I kind of like throw on part of that, whether I just, you know, throw in one disc of it or just, you know, throw throw on shuffle and hear it. I I'm similar to to experiences Scott had where I just like kind of appreciate the the power of this band more and more. And I think one of the kind of turnoffs for me is like, I'm not a huge like reggae fan. And I think I just kind of had this idea that like, oh, every, every song the police did with the exception of like the synchronicity album, like is just like pretty much like has this like reggae vibe with the exception of like the single, some of the singles and and the synchronicity album. And I, so I think now I kind of have a better appreciation for sort of the range of this band and things you get like in listening to like Omega Man, another song that I really like that we kind of threw around as a possibility for Skips on Shuffle, driven to tears. Um, there's just all these cool tracks that I just, you know, don't wouldn't have heard otherwise had I not like picked up um this box set for some reason. And I think a lot of that is just due to the fact of, you know, everyone everyone telling you the police are really, really <laughs> cool. And and just kind of, you know, th- there there's i think with every band it's you have to at some point take some kind of plunge beyond the greatest hits and you're never really sure what you're gonna get or if you're gonna like it but i i would just encourage everybody no matter you know what band you're listening to if you really love the greatest hits like take the chance and kind of listen to some of the other stuff because it's going to paint a very different picture of a the band or whatever artist you're listening to for you. And I think it's, you know, even if you don't like it and you're just like, I still, you know, love my, love my hits. I think more often than not, you're going to find some cool stuff buried in there. Thank you for listening to this episode of skipped on shuffle. Be sure to visit our webpage at skipped where we have a blog and links to our social media Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and also a YouTube page where we perform the songs that we discuss in these episodes.
0: We are trying our best to keep Skipped on Shuffle a ad-free podcast, so if you are interested in helping to support that, please visit our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash Skipped on Shuffle. Any donations that come there could go straight to keeping uh, Skipped on Shuffle a ad-free experience and go straight to paying for the various costs that are associated with running this podcast.